The book of Revelation, if you turn there with me to chapter 17, Nick's time... Uh, next time through. Now, this is our second time. I'm not going to say when we're going to go through the third time because we haven't quite reached it, but I've determined that when we do it next time, we must study Ezekiel, Daniel, First and Second Peter, and Second Thessalonians simultaneously <laughs> because they have a lot to say that's the same. Daniel has, and there's not going to be three or four different statements of faith on eschatology. They're all going to be in agreement. And tonight I'd like to read a little bit out of Daniel, but before we do, turn with me to Revelation chapter 17, and I'd like to read verses 12, 13, and 14. Revelation chapter 17, and read verses 12, 13, and 14, and spend a little time there and before we make a lot of comments on this passage of Scripture, we'd like to look at a passage in the book of Daniel. Revelation 17, verse 12, And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. Now that's the words I'm looking for. <laughs> Doesn't matter what happens, as long as we have that. The Lord shall, the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. I like those three qualifications with those. Now, keeping your finger here, put a marker in there, whatever, turn with me back, if you would, to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. Daniel has some things to say about these items that we just read tonight. And he was used of the Holy Spirit to write these a great deal earlier than John was led to read these, or write these, and yet they are exactly, exactly in agreement. There is no difference in what God revealed to Daniel and what he revealed to Ezekiel and what he revealed to John and what he reveals today about his coming the second time and his power over all kingdoms and that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords and he rules. In fact, it tells us that in this Daniel with a rod of iron. No one goes up against him and is successful. Now, many have tried, and all have failed. He is our Savior, and he has promised to save us from our sins. I was trying to think today, as I was discussing some issues, I was trying to think today the difference, the real difference between the gospel, quote-unquote, I heard, and the gospel I heard. The gospel I heard as a kid was a Savior that is trying to save. And the gospel I heard is a Savior that saves. The gospel I heard as a kid was 
uh, a king that's trying to rule. And the gospel I heard is a king that rules. There's a lot of difference there between a God, a savior that's trying to do something. Uh, I heard about a redeemer that's trying to redeem his people. And every time someone volunteers, he writes their name down. And then I heard the gospel that spoke to my heart. And he is a redeemer that redeems a people that he's already written down. There's a lot of difference there. And so the gospel that I heard, the gospel that I knew in the flesh is so different than the gospel that was revealed to me. This gospel is a gospel of victory. It is a gospel of success. It is a gospel of the Lord taking hand and ruling and taking care of sin and ruling over it and taking care of Satan and ruling over him and taking care of hell and ruling over it. He has the keys of death and hell. Everything that is in his creation, he rules over with a mighty hand. And that's the difference. In a nutshell. All right, Daniel chapter 2. I'd like to begin reading with verse 29. The king of the Chaldean monarchy, the kingdom of the Chaldeans, had a dream. Now, it is interesting how much God used this king to protect his saints. He was a pagan king. But God used this king, this pagan king, this monarch of the Chaldean Empire to protect Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a whole host that had been carried off. Many of them were left behind. But there was a host of them taken off into captivity. And we read about them in other books. The whole uh, account of Esther, Chaldean ruler, protected the Jews that were among the empire. How God protected his church in the Old Testament. He used pagan kings to do that. And if we, we're going to see as we move through here, even the Persian kings. Cyrus was the one that ordained that the children of Israel go back to Jerusalem. And he's the one that's going to take over from the Chaldeans. It's going to be the Persian king. But he is used by God to protect the children of God. Now there's a whole bunch of, uh, of Jews that were taken into, or killed and left there that had no relationship with God. But there's a bunch of them that were taken into captivity and protected guarded, hedged about, that it was this kingdom and these kings that protected them at God's behest. He used them and ordered them, and then it, we find the Greeks. They were used to protect God's people, the kingdom of the Greeks. They protected the saints. And then the Roman Empire... Now, we know a lot about the Roman Empire destroying. A lot of people left, lost their lives as a result, but they also harbored a great many of the saints in their empire. Now, let's look here in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 29, and it says, As for these, O king, thy thoughts came, uh, excuse me, as for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. I'm not smarter than anybody else. 
but God gave me the interpretation to this dream. It's God that reveals his word to his people. But for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. O, thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. Now, that word terrible means magnificent. <laughs> it was a sight. Now, I want us to understand as we read through here, as we understand what we're looking at, this is a single image, and it was given to this king in a dream. And this single image is revealing to us four different monarchies. And the last statement about these monarchies is the most valuable. And we'll get there in just a moment. The form was terrible. His image, the, this image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, and his belly and his thighs of brass. Now, it's very interesting as we go through here that modern eschatology, when they deal with this, do not de deal with the ten fingers. <laughs> they don't deal with two arms. But when we get down to the bottom, they've got to deal with those ten toes. Well, let's just leave it like it's written. He says here that there was an image of fine gold and... Um, the head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet a part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Whoa, I want to know what that's about. <laughs> All right, now Daniel's going to share some information here that is very important. Yes, there was a Chaldean empire, head of gold. That's what Daniel's going to tell this king. You're the head of gold. There's going to be a kingdom following you. And every one of these kingdoms had something in common. They protected God's church by his orders. Most significant is Cyrus. He was raised up. He overthrew the Chaldean Empire. It was a Persian Empire. And he was ordered and ordained of God to release these Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. God protected his people as they were in captivity. All right, this is the dream. Verse 36, we will tell the interpretation, therefore, before the king. Thou, O king, art the king of kings, for the Lord of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, hath he given unto thy hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. Wow. The head of gold represents this empire. Now, when we get a little further in the book of Revelation, we're going to find out a whole lot about fowls. He's just saying that everything was under this kingdom's power. God had given them rulership over the known world at that time. Now, after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, 
and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. Now, history tells us that that second kingdom was Cyrus's kingdom. It was the Persian Empire. And the kingdom that followed that was the Grecian Empire. And it was a magnificent empire, but it did not have the glory of the first or the second. And then it says, The fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things shall it break in pieces and bruise. Now, uh, our friend down there in Central Point had recommended some books on the Roman legions, and it doesn't take very long in there to find out just how that Roman Empire broke to pieces all of the tribes and peoples they came in contact with. Uh, Tim just read one of them, and it said that there was a whole tribe came out, and the Romans said, you go home and stay there, and they turned out to be the Swiss, and they're still there. They never left their area again under the threat of the Roman Empire. There were... There were uh, Parts, tribes of the, that were in that empire that ruled, threw up their hand against Rome and they destroyed every male and sold every woman and every child into slavery so that, that tribe would never be in existence again. That's the way they ruled. They ruled hard and that's what they Iron. They ruled with iron. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet are part iron and part clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. As it went on, it got worse and worse. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, and they shall not cleave one to another, as the iron is not mixed with clay." Now notice this, verse 44. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. What's he talking about? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of our Lord, the eternal kingdom, the everlasting. It became apparent because of the death of Christ on the cross. He has always been king, but truly it can be said how he demonstrated his kingship at the cross. He ruled over every enemy of God and of the church and came out victorious and successful to the point he could say, Every descent is finished. They will never raise their head against me again. I have taken the tribes of sin. I have taken the tribes of hell. I've taken the tribes of the devil. I've taken the tribes of death. And I have put them asunder to the point they will never raise their head against my people again. This kingdom is a kingdom that was established during the times of these kings. And that's the only reason they ruled. God had a protection of his people. He had a protection of the Son of God. He had a protection of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He took care of him. The Roman Empire took care of him. The, they took care. God ruled. 
For, in verse 45, for as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out with a mountain without hands, that is our Savior. And, hath, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. That is the kind of rule God has over every kingdom. Now, if we look there in verse 44, it says, all of these kingdoms are going to feel the kingdom of God. What's that mean? The gospel is going to go into every area these kingdoms ever ruled over, and by it, there's going to be people that are under the thumb and rule of these kings shall be plucked out. They shall be taken out of the rule of these kings, and they shall be given and granted permission to be in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 45, For as much as thou sawest the stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Every part of that kingdom was shattered. We're not looking for it to be brought out again. We're not looking for these kings to be raised up at the last time. Every king that ever rules, we're going to find, is ruling by permission of the Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. He is the king of kings. He rules with a rod of iron. And it says there in latter part, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. Daniel says, this is what it is. You don't need to go for another interpretation. You don't need to go to some other of your soothsayers. You don't need to go to some other prophet. This is the interpretation you are the head of gold, and after you fall, there's going to be another one. And after he falls, there's going to be another one, and then there's going to be another one. And during the period of time that those, that fourth kingdom rules, God's going to raise up a kingdom that shall reign forever. Now, we know that this kingdom has always been, but it, the, the check has been written. Let's put it that way. The check has been written. But it was ready to be cashed at the cross. The reality of this kingdom is made apparent. Now, everyone in the Old Testament, every saint of God, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everyone listed in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, all the faithful children of Almighty God are, were in and are in this kingdom. But there was a time when Jesus Christ came and fulfilled every requirement of the covenant of grace made before the foundation of the world, and it was finalized when he laid down his life a ransom for many. That is the finalization, the authorization of the establishment of this kingdom. He is coronated before the world began as David was made king long before he sat on the throne. He's king, and he has a kingdom. He in type shows us what Christ is. Jesus Christ before the world began was the king. But at this, during the time of the, and the Romans were in rule, they ruled in, in Judea. They ruled there with a rod of iron. They were used by uh, God to uh, uh, put the Jews out. <laughs> And that's what he did. All right, the head of gold represents the Chaldean monarchy. Silver, breast and arms, the Persian kingdom. And I'm going to unplug that phone every service. 
Belly and thighs of brass, the Grecian monarchy, and the legs and feet of iron represented the Roman Empire. And, uh, uh, and they remain till the stone that was cut out with hands, the Lord Jesus, uh, came and did exactly. And he put down those empires. They, they are not what protect the saints. It is the kingdom of God. All right, now, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Revelation, chapter 17. Now, we find, as we study the word of God, that there is, the Lord will never compromise his word. He is not in the compromising business. He will not allow us to offer anything else for his righteousness. He does not compromise, and as a result of that, he will not change his word or his ways or his work, and this always brings on a war from the world. We want him to change. We want his word to change. We want his works to change. We want his ways to change. And there's always a warfare. And it is exhibited against the saints. They are the postmen and they get the brunt of it the Lord will not compromise his word and here in the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation it says there in verse 14 these shall make well verse verse 12 the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings what we find over there in the book of Daniel during the period of these kings shall a kingdom be established and they're going to be destroyed now that doesn't matter in what period of time or where it is, when the gospel comes, it is going to cause a war. It's going to cause a war inside of people. They are usually settled on their own righteousness. And there is a great tribulation brought. It's going to be a war. This It says there in verse 14, He shall make war with the Lamb. Happens all the time. Has happened all the time. It happened just outside the Garden of Eden. Cain fought against the Lamb. He fought against his word. He fought against his ways. He fought against the Lamb. He just took it out on his brother. Every generation we've seen this war. In the book of Matthew, look in Matthew chapter 10. Keep your finger right there, but in Matthew chapter 10, the Lord Jesus said this. With regard to peace, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. It's going to be a war. It will always be a warfare. There will always be a variance. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Jesus said, Think not that I come to send peace on the earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword. There's going to be a warfare. Every time the gospel is preached, there will be a warfare. There will be an internal warfare, and oftentimes it boils over to an external warfare. We've seen it in history. We'll see it today. The Lord, if he tarries, we'll see it tomorrow. There will be a warfare because of the gospel. The world, religion, man wants God to change to meet his standard. And if he does not, there's going to be a warfare. It goes on to say, for I am not come 
For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I came not to compromise. I will not compromise the gospel. I will not dummy down the gospel. I will not simplify the gospel. It is a warfare. And these, as it tells us here in the book of, of Revelation chapter 17, they shall make war with the Lamb. All right, what's going to be the outcome? Don't bury your head in the sand. <laughs> Don't do it. Because every time there's a warfare, and they shall make war against. I made war against the Lord. I made war against the Lord. I will not have this man rule over me. And when I, in reading those books, when those tribes did that, Rome came and wham, they put down the uprising. Well, I'm thankful that God demonstrates in his word that he comes and he puts down the uprising. He takes care of the warfare. And we are so pleased to say, I give up. I surrender to Christ. I am bankrupt and I have no more warfare in me. And then we find out that we're sons and daughters of the king we've been in rebellion against. All right? This warfare, as it goes on, it tells us there, the lamb shall overcome them. Now, there's several that the Lord overcomes. We know, in fact, that the Lord overcomes every lost sheep. We know that. Every lost sheep had to be overcome. Every lost sheep is in rebellion against God. Every lost sheep is a sinner towards God. Uh, every lost sheep is a sinner by practice and a sinner by nature and a sinner by choice. Every lost sheep. And that warfare that we bring against him, we only find in the scripture that he will overcome them and we say hallelujah there is hope for our children there is hope for our grandchildren there is hope for our parents there is hope because he said he will overcome them they are in rebellion now but he has promised that he will overcome every one of his and we pray god may they be make us Happy with your will, but may they be. And he's not going to change his will, but oh, God gives us the desire to pray for those around us, our family, our friends, and may it follow. Here, the lamb shall overcome them. Now, he overcame their sin at the cross, all his sheep. He overcame all against them. He overcame. He was successful. He overcame them. The warfare is over. He overcame them. Now, there's a battle going on every time the gospel is preached. Going on, going on. It's usually an internal battle. Sometimes it spills over. Sometimes it's lashed out. Sometimes people say, I will never come and hear you again. Sometimes they say, I hate you. <laughs> Sometimes they tell other people that they hate somebody. But it's a warfare. And it is a warfare that's been going on since the fall. And yet... The victory is Christ's. He will always be victorious. No one, 
no one can overthrow him. It says he, the, the lamb shall overcome them. Why? He is Lord of lords and king of kings. Turn back again to the book of Daniel with me. Chapter 2, if you would. Daniel chapter 2. As we read here, the uh, subject of Daniel's book is the greatness of God. <laughs> the sovereignty of God. The power of God. The lordship of God. The kingship of God. Oh my, it's just demonstrated throughout here. How in the world could this king have a, have a dream like that? Daniel said, you were moved upon. And... He had a dream, and Daniel interpreted it. And he says, you don't need to look for any other interpretation. This is it. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, 21, and 22. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. Now, you wonder why we're having strange weather. He changes the times. And the seasons. Not gas emissions. He changes the times and the seasons. My grandfather told me down there at New Pine Creek when he was a boy they could grow watermelons like they do at Hermiston. And they did. Acres of them. And sold them. Acres of watermelons. Big Hermiston watermelons. Now, if you can get a watermelon to be four or five inches across in the growing season, you're very fortunate. He changes the times and the seasons. And we may be seeing it. <laughs> All right, just a little sideline there. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. Now that's what he did to Daniel, but that's what he does to the church every time the gospel's preached. He revealeth the deep and secret things of God to his people. How do we know about his grace? He revealed the deep things of God. How do we know about God's mercy? He's revealed the deep things of God. They are deep things. Boy, we don't need anything deeper than Christ. He is deep. How do we know about the holiness of God? He's revealed the deep things. Now, we don't know all we're going to know, but every saint, every born-again believer in Christ Jesus, know more than they knew about by nature. That Missy Huey told me, when she said she'd been saved, and I said, how do you know it? She said, I know things about God I shouldn't know. Well, that's a pretty good definition of being saved. I know things about God I shouldn't know. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. Now that's what he said about being king of kings and lord of lords. He rules. All kingdoms are established by him, and kept by him, and disposed by him, and established by someone else, by him. He ruled when that Chaldean king ruled. He was the head of gold. He ruled when the Persians took over. I cannot even surmise the number of people who lost their lives in the battles between those two kingdoms so that Cyrus could come to the throne and God would use him to send the Jews back to Jerusalem. And when the Greeks took over, you 
You just can't imagine the number of people that lost their lives when the Greeks took over or the Romans took over. There was thousands and thousands of people that lost their lives at the exchange of those kingdoms. And yet God said, this one's going to rule, this one's going to rule, this one's going to rule, and these are going to rule, and during this time I'm going to establish a kingdom that shall be forever. And that's the kingdom of God as we see it. Jesus talked about the kingdom. John talked about the kingdom. The disciples talked about the kingdom. That's just the church. <laughs> it's ever been. But oh, how it was made glorious at the cross. It's always been talked about. But oh, how it was enhanced at the cross. Glorious church. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. All right, uh, turn with me to Proverbs, Proverbs 8. Just back a little bit to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 8, verse 15. We read about this uh, wonderful subject of the Lord being King of kings and Lord of lords. Proverbs 8, 15. By me kings reign and princes decree justice. If we had nothing else. That's enough. By me, king's reign. <coughs> Sobering thought. By me, presidents are elected. By me, kings and queens are established. By me. Goes on to say, uh, there in verse uh, 15, By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I'm king of kings and lord of lords. And that's the one that overcomes in this war. In the book of uh, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, what a wonderful passage of scripture here in 1 Timothy about the blessed and, and only. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. Blessed and only potentate, only monarch only king of kings first uh, timothy chapter 6 and verse 15 which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate king of kings and lord of lords look at verse 14 that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of the lord, our lord jesus christ which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate the king of kings and lord of lords who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, in whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. How did he overcome this war? He is king of kings and lord of lords. And, and then in Revelation 19, Revelation 19, it tells us here in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, just a little bit ahead of us, in our uh, scripture study, Revelation 19, verse 11, says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it... Now, that sharp sword is just as literal as those horses. That sharp sword is the word of God. Now, I don't know exactly what the horses are, but that's just as literal. It's spiritually telling us how and what he does. He rules out of his mouth go the sharp sword. He is the mouth of God is filled with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And with it he shall smite the nations. How does he smite the nations? With a sharp sword, with his word. He's going to cause warfare. He is going to smite the nations. He's going to smite, smite that great whore. He's going to smite the Babylon, the great. He's going to smart the be smite the beast. He is going to bring in subjection all his people. If he, since he, let's put it that way, since he created the heavens and the earth by the word of his mouth, he can overcome all things by this same sharp sword, the word of God. Shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Name written. This is his title. And so he overcomes in this warfare that takes place. It's taken place. It's taken place. It's taking place. It will take place until he comes again. And then the warfare, there will be no battle. He'll not have to reveal himself to any more sheep. That will be done. Judgment will fall. And it says, there shall, they shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Our faithfulness depends on who we run with. Well, there's great courage with great commanders. We don't have to have much of our own. <laughs> Any of our own, we're running with the great commander. If we're running with the king, if we're following the king, our faith, it could be so insignificant. But power is given to us because of who's fighting the battle. Why? Just shares with us how faithful God's people are because he is a great warrior. And we follow in his wake. <laughs> Great faith. I got great faith. Why? He's great. <laughs> he battles well. He fights well. He does well. I can I can put my money on him every time. He is the king. So I, I don't have to have any faith. It's his faith. I just follow along and enjoy him. Enjoy his battles. He's fighting the battle. Our faithfulness depends on who we run with and whose we are. And it says that these that follow him are called... And they're chosen, and they're faithful. Uh, how do we find out we're how to find out we're chosen? When He calls us by the gospel, that's how we find out. Called by the gospel, we find out we're chosen, and that's going to make His people faithful. He's He cuts a broad wake. <laughs> well, a little dinghy falling behind a a great big uh, aircraft carrier. I'll just stay right here. There's, there's safety right here. I'll just stay right here. And that's what we are. We're following a great aircraft carrier. And we're just a, we can say we're in a little dinghy. Really, we're in the aircraft carrier. All right. The ark. We're in the ark. 
Well, we'll stop there, and Lord willing, we'll pick up this next time, uh, verse 15, and finish this chapter. There are some things in here, as it said with regard to Paul's writing, some things are hard to be understood. I'm not going to try to second-guess the Lord on them, and we'll just move ahead. I uh, There's seven heads and seven mountains and the, the seven hills at the city, and that's always been termed as Rome. I think we've made a mistake there. I think it's much bigger than Rome. I think it's religion, world religion, peace, or people's religion, the heart's religion. I think it's, and it just isn't Rome. It's bigger than that.